Good morning, church. How are we today? Good, good, good. It feels like forever since I've been up here uh, preaching. I've been in and out. We've been moving. We had carbon monoxide issues at our house. But praise the Lord, we're, we're here together. And let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. It is good to be back in the book of Acts. Uh, it's been six weeks, actually, since we were last in it. And this morning... I want to remind us of why we decided to jump into the book of Acts in the first place. It's not just to be amazed at the power of God and what he can do, although I absolutely want us to see that. It's not so we can learn to do powerful things through spiritual gifts, although if God chooses to do that, let it be so. We are going through Acts because we need to remember what we are called to do here on this planet called earth. We have a mission, don't we? What is the mission of our church? What is it? Glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Everything that we do should be for that. That's not just for the church. We don't go home and then have a new mission and have some kind of different thing that we're supposed to be about. It's not just church that's designated to glorify God and make disciples. All of our lives are meant for the glory of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We aren't called just to come together on Sundays and sing a few songs and hear a message from the Bible and go home and then come back and do it all again next week. My prayer for us is that we would see the power of God in the book of Acts and be convicted to take the message of the gospel out of this place and share it in our homes with our families, to take it across the street to our neighbors, to share it with coworkers that we work with, to take it into our schools, and maybe for some of you to even take it around the world. We are called to make disciples, and God has equipped us to do just that, hasn't he? Now, as you remember, the main verse, like the kind of the focal point of the verse happens right away in Acts. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's exactly what we have seen take place in this book, haven't we? The gospel ripped through Jerusalem. Thousands of people came to Christ through the witness of the apostles and the early church. We also saw persecution tear through the church, but that only helped to spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And as we will see throughout this book, to the end of the earth. And do you realize that we are part of this advancement? We get to take place in this. The same spirit that moved through the early church moves through us. We are part of taking the gospel to the end of the earth. And I believe when every tribe and tongue and nation has heard the gospel, that's when Jesus will come back. That's what I believe. And we are called to participate in that. He intends for us to use 
the power of the Holy Spirit to advance his message. And this morning, we're going to continue in Acts in chapter 10. And here's the title that I've given this sermon. God shows no partiality in salvation. God shows no partiality in salvation. I want you to notice there, this is a large chunk of scripture. All of chapter 10 through half of chapter 11. And we're not going to read it all today. Uh, I'm going to skim through a lot of this because a lot of this is repeat. And so we're going to jump into this shortly. But let's just go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we come before you and realize that when we open up your word, we are desperate for you. Lord, that we need you to open our eyes and our hearts that we might see what we need to see, Father. Would you take the blinders off, God? Would you take away any distractions that tempt to take us away from your word? Lord, would you encourage us, strengthen us, and Lord, I pray that we would leave having been strengthened by your spirit, Lord, to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Whatever part you have called us to play in that, God, let us be faithful. So, God, we need you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in verse 1 in chapter 10, we are introduced to Cornelius, who happens to be a Roman centurion. So centurion sounds a lot like the word century, which means what? 100, right? So a centurion oversaw 100 soldiers. And they were part of these bigger groups of people. And this particular cohort that he's a part of is the Italian cohort, it says. Now, cohort it consists of six centurions, which means there's about 600 men that are involved in this cohort. Now, here's what we know about Cornelius. From all earthly perspectives, he was a good man, devout, religious. It says he feared God. He gave alms, which are acts of charity, generously to the people. In verse 22, we see he is well respected by the whole Jewish nation. So this man is a good man in all earthly perspectives. And at 3 p.m. on this particular day, he he has a vision where an angel meets with him. And and this man is frightened. Now that's something to take notice, notice of, isn't it? Here we have the centurion who's probably faced some serious battles. But he's afraid of this angel who has come before him. How many of you have ever thought, man, I would love for an angel just to show up at my place. I guarantee we'd all be in that same place. If, if an angel showed up, we would be afraid as well. And, this, and, and so is Cornelius here. He's terrified. And the angel tells him to send some men to Joppa in order to find Simon, who is called Peter, which is very significant here because Simon Peter is actually staying with Simon as well, a different Simon. And so it's... Very important that they get the right Simon here. And meanwhile, while this is happening, these men come to his house and and Peter is up on his roof praying. And while he's praying, he's hungry. And he he too has a vision while he's hungry and and something like a sheet is lowered before him. and And he sees all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds on it. And the one speaking to him says, kill and eat. But, but Peter, being a good Jew, turns him down, saying, it's unclean. It's common. I can't eat that. And it would be wrong for him to eat what is unclean. 
And the voice speaks to him again in verse 15. Look what it says. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. Now, if you don't have the ESV, your version may say something like impure or unclean. In this vision, this happens three times. And then suddenly the sheet is taken away into heaven. And this leaves Peter perplexed. As you could imagine, I mean, maybe he's thinking, I should have eaten sooner. <laughs> I should have let my, I shouldn't have let myself go hungry. And so while he's thinking about all of it, the, the, the men Cornelius sent to him find him and they are asking for Peter. And the spirit then says to Peter that these three men were sent by God and he should receive them without hesitation. Now, here's what we need to understand about this. It would have been highly against Jewish law to meet with foreigners, to meet with non-Jewish people. Because in their understanding, they were unclean. And so to invite them in their home would have been an abomination to them. Certainly, this, this, what we need to understand, it wasn't so much of a racial thing. But rather, they didn't want to be contaminated. They didn't want their theology to be contaminated by pagans is the way they viewed it. And yet, this doesn't stop him from doing what God has called him to do. He asked them the reason for them coming and explains what Cornelius experienced. And they, and they asked Peter to go meet with him. And so the next morning, they leave. And as he enters Cornelius' house, where he... He finds his family and friends. He's, he's invited tons of people. This is a big thing that Cornelius has done. And so there's all these people that are gathering to meet with Peter. And immediately Cornelius kneels down and begins to worship Peter. But he stops him and lets him know that he is only a man just like him. Have, have you noticed that several places throughout Acts we've already seen they do these miraculous deeds, these marvelous things, and the people want to lift up the apostles. But what do the apostles do every time? They are quick to reflect glory back to Christ. Every time they want the attention to be pointed back to God. None of them are looking to build up their name or their brand they aren't looking to get a book deal done. They aren't looking to draw any attention to themselves. They are humble servants who have been given power from God in order to perform miracles so that they can point others to Christ. And we should pay attention to them and follow suit. Any gifts that we're giving, anything good that comes out of us are gifts from the Lord that are intended to give glory back to God. We are here for one reason, to glorify God. And so Peter stops the worship. And I want you to see what he says to Cornelius. So look with me in chapter 10 at verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And so 
you see Peter starting to connect these dots to this strange vision that he had. He's starting to understand what God is trying to tell him. And it's because of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of every person who would ever believe that salvation now is available for all people. No longer is it okay for Jews to reject Gentiles and hold them back from salvation. No longer can they be called unclean or to be called common. God has made a way for all people to find salvation in Christ. And so, Peter asks Cornelius why he sent for him. And in verse 30 through 33, he explains what happened. And in verse 34, we see once again the reason for Peter's vision. It says this in verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Feel the weight of that statement. Feel the weight of what those verses say. Up to this point in history, God's focus was on the Israelites. His, it was on the nation of Israel. The Jews are the, were the ones that had God's eyes on them. And, and for most, if not all of us, we would have been on the outside looking in because most, if not all of us, are not Jewish. But here we see God shows no partiality. The reason we are offered salvation is because of Christ. And that's exactly where what happens next. Look at, let's look at that together. Chapter 10, verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What an amazing time that must have been. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I think it's important for us to understand something here. Up to this point, there is no reason we should think Cornelius was saved prior to this preaching of Christ. Yes, from a worldly perspective, he was a very good man. He had Many good things on his resume, but very good men don't make it to heaven on their own merits. He was still a sinner and in need of a savior. He was still separated from God. And remember, Jesus said it himself, I am what? The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Up to this point, he did not put 
his faith in Christ. Now you might ask, Ben, how do you know that's true? How can you say that? We don't see any clarity there that that's true. Well, I would start by saying this. If it wasn't true, then why did Peter need to go to him in the first place? If he was already saved, then why does Peter need to go and proclaim Christ to him? There's no reason to get Peter from 30 miles away if this man was already saved. Plus, just look a little bit further in the passage. Look at chapter 11 uh, in the second part of verse 13 going into 14. It says this. Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will, declare, he will declare to you a message by which you have been saved. Is that what it says? No, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And so we see here, salvation comes by repentance of sin and placing your faith in Christ. Peter came and proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius and his guests because up to that point there was no conversion. There was no salvation because salvation is found in Christ alone. And look what happened in verse 44. It tells us that the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard. And the Jews understood and were amazed that God had granted salvation to the Gentiles through their repentance and faith in Christ. It wasn't by following certain traditions. It wasn't by abstaining from eating unclean animals. It came through repentance and faith. That is how one is saved. And this, of course, led Peter to command them to be baptized. And I, and I want to mention this. Uh, we are in the process of looking into to purchasing uh, a portable baptismal, and we hope to have that in the next month or so. Uh, but if you have not been baptized yet, let me encourage you. This is... This is a call of obedience. This is not a moment of salvation, but rather this is an outward expression of what Christ has done in your hearts. And so we should all follow in obedience by being baptized, and that's exactly what happens here. And news of what had taken place began to spread throughout Judea, as we see in chapter 11. And some of the Jews were criticizing Peter for hanging out with Gentiles. They still believed salvation was only for the Jews. And so Peter met with them and explained the whole story to them. And he finished by saying the following. Look at verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also... God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so God opened their eyes to see the beauty of what had just taken place. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want to give four highlights of this story here. Four highlights of what took place in this passage that we all need to take to heart in light of our walk with Christ. Especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. Here's... Highlight number one, God uses us to proclaim the gospel. God uses us to proclaim the gospel. Do you find it interesting, as I do, that God sent an angel to Cornelius to have him send for Peter? 
I mean, why didn't he just have the, the angels share the gospel? In fact, why doesn't he just have angels share the gospel with all those who need it? And that would take out human error that occurs and laziness that happens with us sometimes or fear. Why doesn't God just send angels? Wouldn't that have made it so much easier? But if that was the way that God worked, then it, it would rob us of a couple things that I think of. First of all, it robs us of going to work. If God just sent angels, then we would all be very tempted to just be lazy. Hey, I mean, I don't need to share with the neighbor. God will take care of it in one way or another. But that's not how the way it works. Scripture says how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. God uses us to proclaim the good news because it keeps us awake and alert to the mission. And I think another reason why he uses us is because it builds our faith, doesn't it? When God gives us the opportunity to share our faith, it actually builds our faith in the process. I've shared the gospel many times, most of which end up with the person not making a decision for Christ, but every time it plants a seed in their life. And every time it encourages me in my faith. Every time it prepares me with questions that people answer of how to answer the next person when they have the same question. It strengthens us. So believers, don't forget that God uses us to proclaim the gospel. The angels weren't sent to proclaim the gospel to bring repentance and faith. He uses us for that. We are called to go and share. And let me just say this too. If God has rescued you from your sin, then you have a story of redemption to share. Some of you might be saying, oh, Ben, I, I, I don't know what words to say. I, I'm not a good public speaker. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And I would say, like, even Paul said, I don't come with these beautiful, amazing words. I, I come trembling in the fear of the Lord. If God has rescued you from your sin, you have a story. Do you realize that whether or not you came from drugs, alcohol, a crazy testimony like Brad, <laughs> or whether or not you had a testimony like mine who was born in a Christian home and outwardly speaking, there's not a whole lot of visible sins, although I could say I'm a wretched man because my heart is deceitful above all things. No matter what your testimony is, if God has rescued you, it is an absolute miracle. And if he's rescued you, you have a story to share. Even the blind man in the scripture that received sight, what was his testimony? All I know is once was blind, but now I see. We don't have to have the right words, but if we've been saved, we understand, look, I'm a wreck. I'm still a wreck. But somehow, Jesus still loves me. He paid the price for my sin so that I might be made right with you. That's the testimony. We don't have to have a deep theological understanding of Scripture in order to understand. We just need to know the basics. God is holy. We are not. Jesus came and died for our sin. Repent and believe in him. And the Scripture says if you do that, you will be saved. The question is, are we faithfully seeking God for opportunities? Are you asking God to Open doors for you. That might be the best place for you to start. Maybe you 
you're tempted this morning to be discouraged, like, oh, yeah, I don't share my faith, I need to. My encouragement is just spend some time praying, God, open up opportunities. Lord, who is in your life? In the next month or so, we're going to have a campaign that's called Who's Your One? Who is your one is what it stands for. Who's one person in your life that you can be praying for? That God would open a door and open their eyes to see Christ. And guess what? God wants to use you. And he's able to. God uses us to proclaim the gospel. Here's highlight number two. And I think I'm missing that point here. So let me give you this. Trust God to give you clear direction. That's point number two. I don't have that in here for some reason. Trust God to give you clear direction. All of Peter's life was given to Christ. Everything he did was for his glory. When Peter left his fishing nets to follow Christ, he was all in. And we know it would come to the point where he would literally give his life for him. And so he was sensitive to the Spirit leading him. And, and as he was up on the roof praying, God gave him a vision of what his next plans were. And oh, the news he received that salvation is for all people, not just for Jews. Now, if you're like me, this is a crazy story. Having visions about animals on a sheet. And then Peter is told to kill and eat what had been, for most of his life, unclean. Then to be told that there are three men to see him and he is to go with them, these complete strangers. I mean, what if you went home today after church, you sit down for your meal and then some guys come knocking on your door asking you to go and speak to their boss. <laughs> How many of you would be calling 911 and, hey, I got some psychos at my house who are trying to get me to go see somebody. I'm not so sure this is legit. But when situations arise that are out of the ordinary, we can trust that God will give clarity in the direction that you should go. It was about 13 or 14 years ago that I was a, a youth pastor at a, a church. And to be honest, it was a, a pretty safe place to be. My family had grown up there. I had gone there my whole life. It was safe. It was, I want to say, I don't want to say it was easy, but like my job was pretty secure there. In fact, when I had left, I was, uh, before I had left, I, I, I at one point was the only full-time pastor on staff there. I wasn't preaching. We had somebody else come in. But you have to also know something about me. I am a very safe person, very cautious. Now, now some of you might think, well, caution is good. It's good to be wise and make cautious decisions. Well, I should clarify that often it's out of fear that I'm cautious. And I can also often find myself not making decisions because of fear of failure. And so I'm a very cautious person. But it was in this season while I was a youth pastor that God was starting to stir in my soul to make a move in our life. Now at the time, uh, we were a, a small family of four. So we had two kids and Isaac was, was just a couple months old. 
And it was through this time, we were in the process of trying to sell our house actually to upgrade because we had kind of a small house. We had a, a two-bedroom house, and so we were wanting to still grow our family even beyond the two at some point. And so we were looking to upgrade our house, and this was when the market, remember when the market had crashed? And so things were just a mess. And so we were at a, a place where we are actually going to take our house off the market because it was during the season where God was stirring in my heart like, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe I'm supposed to leave somewhere. And it was during this that our heart was stirred, uh, my heart, I should say, was stirred to join this other church that had this pastor's college. And, and I was just longing for more education. I wanted to learn. And so, so I began to pray, like, God, would you have us move away to leave my comfortable, safe job to move away in order that this might be a, a possibility? Well, here's the thing. Like, that was a crazy thing for me to do. Because that would mean me quitting my job and find, trying to find a job somewhere else. And so to make a long story short, God ended up calling us to Illinois. And I quit my job and actually moved in with our in-laws and traveled two hours every Sunday uh, for a couple months until I was able to find work. But here's the thing about that story. It was, that was a crazy decision to make. And I knew that Nikki was not going to want to... <laughs> For me, she was stay-at-home mom. She was not going to want me to quit my job and have no income coming in to go somewhere where we knew nobody without God moving. And I remember this particular night that I stayed up all night praying. I just was, God, move in her heart, Lord. I'm not doing this without her. You have to move in her heart in order for this to happen. And I didn't tell her about this, but that next day I get a call from Nikki saying, hey, you know what, Ben, I think I could be okay with moving. And it was amazing to see when God calls us to do something that is out of the ordinary, we can be sure of this, that he will give clear direction. If you want to put down verses 9 through 23, uh, you can write that in light of this. God gives clear direction. When God is asking you to do something hard, maybe they don't make worldly, maybe it doesn't make much worldly sense to you. As you seek him, as you have a relationship with him, you can be sure of this. He will make your path clear. We only need to keep pursuing him. Trust God to give you clear direction. Here's the third highlight. Salvation is available to everyone and is found in Christ alone. Salvation is available to everyone and is found in Christ alone. The, P the vision that Peter had was very confusing. It didn't make sense to him. But of course, things started to line up as God showed him the meaning of it all. Up to that point, salvation was for the Jews, but that was no longer the case. Jesus died so that all people could be saved. God shows no partiality. Aren't you glad that's true? Imagine living with the understanding that only a certain people group could be saved. Or imagine if it was only those who were wealthy enough that could get to heaven. Or it was only those whose sins were minor could be saved. What a terrible way to live if that were true. And some people live that way. As if somehow we can earn it. 
But praise God, that's not how it works. Salvation is made available to all people. It isn't the reality that none of us deserve salvation. Isn't it true that none of us are worthy of God's grace? We are all separated from God because of our sin. The only thing that we deserve is hell, eternal punishment. But Christ, because of Jesus, salvation is available to all. But we must understand, it is found in Christ alone. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. Cornelius, in all of his good deeds, was still separated from God because of his sin. His good works didn't earn him salvation. He still needed to repent and place his faith in Christ. And so that's why Peter went in the first place to share the gospel. Because he needed to hear the good news of salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But the world wants to tell us different things, doesn't it? The world wants us to be confused, and so they try to trip us up by saying, well, you have Jesus, I have my thing. There's all, there's all many different paths to heaven, right? You have God, I have Allah. When we, or some people just believe that when we die, we are just gone, like annihilationism. Like we're just, that's just it, and it's over. But we see in Scripture that there is a real hell. We see that everyone must be saved, otherwise you will face the eternal flames. Consider a couple passages in Scripture. Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Worth noting that we're all going to face the first death, right? Unless Jesus comes, we're all going to face death. But those who do not repent and place their faith in Christ will experience a second death. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Revelation 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is a real place, and it's reserved for all who do not repent and place their faith in Christ. No one will be able to stand before God and say, look what I've done for you. If that's all you have, and Jesus is in all your side pleading for you, then the only thing that you will hear is depart from me, for I never knew you. No one knows the time when we will be done here on this earth. No one is guaranteed to make it home today. No one is guaranteed to make it out of this room. But there's hope for you. My prayer for you is that God would expose your, your heart, would expose the sin in your life that would lead you to repentance, not to a place of beating yourself up. Not to a place of despair and depression, but to a place of understanding that Jesus 
says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we confess our sins, he is faithful in what? To forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you've never done that, I would love to take some time to talk with you after the service, or maybe you know somebody in your life who you could talk to. But we must understand that salvation is available to everyone, and it's found in Christ alone. Here's the last highlight we see in chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. We must call partiality out in others. We must call partiality out in others. The news of Cornelius and his family and friends spread throughout Judea. And the first thought many of the Jews had was how could Peter hang out with these Gentiles. Can you believe that? The first thing, they, why are you hanging out with these sinners? Like, you're defiled now. What are you doing? Now, I don't know the tone of Peter's voice here, but I, I imagine it was merciful and gracious and I think even one of humility. Why? Well, because I think Peter was probably just like them prior to this. And in fact, we read in the New Testament that Paul had to confront Peter for doing the very same thing that, he's, that Jesus declared to him here. Like Peter's showing partiality. He was hanging out with Gentiles, but then these Jews come around, and so he kind of pushes the Gentiles aside, and he's just hanging out with this special group. So I think... Peter needed to understand himself that salvation was for all people. And, and brothers and sisters, we are susceptible to be partial towards others, aren't we? We are susceptible to be no different than those Jews were. Have you ever thought to yourself that there's no way a certain kind of person could be saved? Have you ever found yourself thinking... That a person went too far and would have to overcome too much. That there's just no way that that person can find Christ. In reality, I think all of us have in some form or fashion some kind of prejudice against others. For instance, have you ever been driving? And the way the person is driving has led you to think, I bet that person is... Ever thought that? Probably some old person. Maybe some of you older folks, like some young folks are just out of control, impatient. <laughs> like we all have these prejudices. And some of us, even we, 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 the wealthy, for instance, would look at those who don't have much and those who are begging on the street and say, why are, why are they so lazy? Don't they see all the hiring signs in all of Elkhart County and they're lazy enough to hang out in the street corner asking for a sign? And how could anybody be needing money? Why are they always asking for money? I've seen those who are less well off say to the wealthy, how could they live in such a house? Did you hear what they spent money on? How in the world could they be part of God's kingdom and spend their money on that? And here's what can happen. When we find ourselves with these kind of prejudices, we start to stay away from them. We start to distance ourselves from them because we think somehow we are superior to them. In a, in a way, what we are doing is saying, I'm not going to share any grace with you that I've received because you're not worthy of it. And when that happens, 
we need others to call partiality out in us, and we need to call that partiality out in others. We're all susceptible to this. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves only hanging out with those who are the easiest people to hang out with, those who look most like us. So we may throw the people that live in the trailer park a little bone, here's some money your way, but I'm not going to do life with you because you don't really have anything to offer me because if you live in there, how could you have anything to offer me when the truth is, who are we to judge that? Who are we to judge whether or not a trailer home is a good place to live? And yet we can find ourselves thinking we're better than others. And if that's the case, then the, it's less and less likely that we are willing to share the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we can't stand for this. We can't stand for any kind of racism that would lead us to judge a person by the color of their skin. And to say little comments here and there that would belittle that person for being anything less than what we are. Do we realize that the ground at the cross is level? There's not like different levels. Like, well, I'm not as sin. I don't need the gospel as much as you do. <laughs> when the truth is we are all depraved at birth. We are all born separated from God because of our sin. And the very fact that we are sitting here, have ears to hear this, is God's grace to us. So brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that God shows no partiality in salvation. Are you aware of any prejudices in your heart? Prejudices that keep you from interacting with certain people, forgetting that the gospel is for everyone. We are all equally separated from Christ by our own sin. No one seeks after God. But God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is there anyone in your life who needs to be confronted about their prejudices? Do it. But do it with grace and mercy, humbly, understanding that none of us has it all together. Amen? Nobody's ears rocking this. The good news of the gospel is for all people. God shows no partiality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the payment that was made for us on the cross. God, I pray that you'd help us here, Lord. I confess, Lord, there, my heart was exposed this week in little ways that I look at myself as better somehow. And Lord, we may not think much of that, but those kind of thoughts push us away from those people. Lord, we took communion today to remember the sacrifice that was made for us. But Lord, it wasn't just made for us. It wasn't just made for people who look like us. It wasn't just made for people who live in the same kind of house as we do or go to the same schooling or have the same kind of schooling. 
Salvation is for all people who repent and believe in you. Lord, remind us, we have one mission in this world. It's not to make money. One mission, to glorify you by making disciples. Lord, keep us from having any kind of prejudice that would keep us from sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. Keep us from thinking someone is too far gone. Lord, that's not for us to decide. It may be true, but who are we to know that? And who are we to decide that? So Lord, expose our hearts this morning. Forgive us. Set us upright again in the right direction. And God, refresh us this morning. If we do find ourselves there, I thank you, Lord, that your word says if we confess, you're faithful to forgive. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, Lord. So there's no time for us to spend beating ourselves up this morning. We can be in tears. We can confess, yes, that's, those are good things, Lord. And change us this morning in the ways that we need to be changed. And, Lord, would you take away obstacles that we put in our path that keep us from taking the good news to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. Take away the fears. Give us opportunities, Lord. And help us to be faithful, trusting that when you provide those opportunities, your spirit will move in us and we can trust and lean into you, God. Thank you that you are mighty to save. You are a good God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing in response this morning.